And Ryan appears. Roll for initiative. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I have legendary actions. Your initiative doesn't matter. Anyway, welcome to Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard. I am, of course, Ryan Howard, your host. And today we have a very special episode for you. Makes it sound like it's going to be one of those drug episodes of a uh, sitcom. Uh, but it's not. It's not. It's something much better, much more fun. I have on with me the co-founders of a new custom miniature website called Eldritch Foundry. Their names are Maten Gallant and Yasef Valinsky, a.k.a. Matt and Joseph. And they are here talking about Eldritch Foundry, their new custom miniature website. It's on Kickstarter right now. I believe they've reached their goal to get the thing funded, so it, it's gonna happen. But the Kickstarter's still open, there's still stretch goals to unlock. You have eight days to jump on this as of the uh, posting of this episode. So get on that. After you hear this interview, jump on Kickstarter, back it, and get your new custom miniatures. These guys have a really cool system going. They've got lots of great ideas. I'm really excited about these minis. I'm jumping on this Kickstarter too, just as soon as, as soon as that first paycheck hits. But yeah, that's that's the interview that we have for today. It's a lot of fun. I'm I'm really glad to have these guys on. Uh, this was their first podcast, as uh, Matt told me afterwards. So hopefully they enjoyed themselves, and hopefully they enjoy this episode. Before we jump into this episode, just want to remind you that uh, you can follow me on various social media, and uh, that is Twitter and Instagram. On Twitter, I am at Howard underscore Ryan Gregg, and on Instagram, I am at Fenderboy771. My Instagram is where you can see the miniatures I paint, which is apropos to today's episode, and of course today. Rants from behind the screen. Yeah, that name doesn't sound pretentious at all. I'm keeping it though. So, what I am talking about in today's Rants from behind the screen. And yes, I'm going to do that every time I say the name. I'm talking about miniatures versus theater of the mind. The funny thing about this is I used to be strictly theater of the mind. I did not see the value of miniatures. I thought it would just be impossible to constantly have the miniature that you need, especially if you're doing a game where you're improving a session. You know, your players kind of go off the beaten path, they want to explore a little bit, you don't really know what monsters you're going to bring. How are you going to know, oh, tonight I'm going to need a Grick and an Owlbear and whatever else you might throw at them. I, I don't know where you would be going that would have both a Grick and an Owlbear, but it's possible. Anything's possible in Dungeons and Dragons. But then, at some point, and I'll, I'll tell you what point that was, it was when I got back into painting miniatures. I discovered the value of miniatures. I discovered the value that they bring to the game. And I kind of want to talk about both my background painting miniatures and using them and kind of the, the pros and cons of theater of the mind versus uh, tactical combat with miniatures. And honestly, what it comes down to is personal preference and uh, the availability of funds. If you don't have a lot of money, you might not be able to use miniatures. Uh, that's just the way it is, unfortunately. But... If you've got that kind of disposable income, and it's it's not super expensive to use miniatures, but it can get up there if uh, you get into miniatures and get addicted like so many of us do. It's ultimately down to personal preference, and I will break all of them down. But first, I've not actually given my background with miniatures and miniature painting, so I'm going to go ahead and do that real quick. Uh, those of you who follow me on Instagram, you know I paint miniatures on there. I think I do a good job. I'm definitely doing a better job than I did when I first started, and people seem to like them. So if you don't like them, just let me know, and I will cry myself to sleep tonight. But anyway, before 
I played D&D. My, my entry point to tabletop games was actually Warhammer 40k. I had a friend in middle school who got me way into Warhammer, and I played Space Marines, and I started painting them. Now, at this point, I wanted painted minis because it just looks stupid to have the little gray figures that you, you move around. It's, it looks dumb. looks low effort. But I didn't want to put the effort into actually painting them. Like, I saw how, how they were painted, how they looked in the codex, how, how other people painted them online, and I was just like, there's no way. I'm bad at art. I'm not going to be able to do this. So I kind of did a, a weird little workaround where I painted... I, I was playing a Salamander Space Marine Army. So I painted all of their armor green, and I painted their weapons bolt gun metal. And then what I did was I went over them with black and gave them kind of like a tiger stripe camouflage look. And so they looked muddy and had the stripes all over them, and I said, that's camouflage. And what I didn't realize at the time was uh, the, the lore of Warhammer 40k is such that uh, Space Marines do not use camouflage. They have no need for subtlety. I should have realized this with the, the guys with the long swords and power armor and giant guns but yeah they don't really use camouflage they're space marines they don't need it but i mean at the time i, I did it as a, a trick so that i didn't have to put much effort into my painting but it was also a sign of my own creativity i, I liked the idea of having camo space marines no one else had them so I, I just did it i did it for fun and to to get around doing serious work and they weren't my best work they honestly kind of sucked they didn't look all that great. And then at some point I realized, being in middle school, I do not have the disposable income to play Warhammer 40k. I stopped playing, sold my army, and uh, took up another game that I didn't really have the disposable income for, that being Hero Clicks. And at some point I stopped doing that as well. So flash forward to October of last year. We were just getting ready to start up Ashley's game where I was playing T-Win, and someone had the idea of all of us getting either miniature from WizKid or Bones or whoever, or making our own custom Hero Forge miniatures, and then having like a group painting session. David from that game was way into painting at this time. He was painting uh, the figures for the Star Wars uh, miniature game. He was painting D&D figures. He was, he's really good at it. He's, he's pretty good. I think he's still actually better than me. And so he was going to show us kind of how to paint. And I thought, yeah, I haven't painted in a while. I don't really use miniatures, but it, it could be cool. So I designed my miniature and then you know, brought him to the game and uh, we all sat down and we, we were painting. And I discovered that I really liked it. I would bought some paints online and it came with a, a little test figure that was actually Minsk and Boo from Baldur's Gate. And so I painted him and I did a terrible job. Uh, you can find that picture on Instagram. But when I was painting T-Win, I really, I put in effort and I tried really hard and it ended up looking really good. I, I ended up doing better than I'd ever done with any miniature with T-Win. And so I thought, maybe I can do this. Maybe I can get good at painting. And so I, I kept trying. I kept doing it. I ordered another Hero Forge miniature for uh, Cromwell. I got some other miniatures. Um, most of what I have are uh, Nulzer's Marvelous Unpainted Miniatures figures. That's mostly what I've painted. And I, I did well with those. I ended up getting uh, two larger Bones monsters. One of them was a Balor that I painted. And uh, another one was a dragon that Joe from that D&D group actually got 
got me for Christmas. And so I, I painted all that stuff, and I just noticed I was getting better and better. I was very happy with the quality of my paints. You know, I, I just had all these miniatures. I was amassing this big army of miniatures, and so when I moved to Nashville and started up the, the new game, I figured, I've got these miniatures. Might as well get myself a map, and we will have a more tactical game than I usually run. Previous to this, I would run pretty much exclusively theater of the mind. I have a very active imagination when it comes to the combat aspects of D&D, so I could picture what was going on in my head. Most of my players could too. We did a lot of theater of the mind stuff. We messed around a little bit with roll 20, especially once uh, Mo ended up having to move away and was DMing us from uh, Discord. But, you know, I always liked theater of the mind. I, I always thought it was cool just to imagine things. But honestly, once you add minis to the game, you get a whole new element. You get a more tactical game. You, you focus more on attacks of opportunity, and your rogue focuses more on positioning people for sneak attack. And it really does add something vital to the game, I feel. Tactical combat with miniatures, I think, is a really important thing. And if you don't have miniatures and you have that active imagination, then by all means, play Theater of the Mind. I enjoyed Theater of the Mind for quite some time, but if you have the means, if you want to paint miniatures, go ahead and add that tactical element to your game. You won't regret it. It really does make combat kind of come alive in a way, and it's easier to keep track of things. A lot of times I would find uh, running Theater of the Mind, I was the monster wrangler, as uh, as Matt Colville talked about. I was always having to, to juggle all these different monsters, and I'd say, oh, there's five of them, and I'd have to write down each monster and keep track of their hit points. But with miniatures and, and tactical combat, it's easier to keep track of them. You just, you can write their hit points off to the side. You can have your players keep track of how much damage they're dealing. It makes things easier. It really is easier to run tactical combat with minis. And if you can't afford minis, um, last thing I'll say, you can get tokens. And tokens are relatively cheap. They're, they're like, they're pogs with monsters on them. And if you don't know what pogs are, you're young. You're very young. I don't remember Pogs because I'm 23, but I know what they are. I'm a 90s kid by osmosis. I have an older sister. So even though I was born in 1995, I, I do remember a lot of the 90s via her. But anyway, the, yeah, they're Pogs with monsters on them. And they serve the same purpose as miniatures. They're just not as cool in my opinion. But yeah, that's what I have to say about tactical combat versus theater of the mind. And honestly, if you are getting miniatures, I do highly recommend that you get the unpainted ones and try to paint. Even if you're not great at it. It's it's still a ton of fun to do. Like, there's still value to be found in, in miniature painting, and honestly, if you just keep doing it, you'll get better and better. That's what happened with me. I started out not very good, and now I'm good enough to feel confident posting my stuff on Instagram, and confident enough to actually say that I am willing to do commissions for people. And... If you want me to paint a figure for you, you can find that information on my Twitter and on my Instagram. I already gave those at the top of the show. That's going to be it for uh, this rant from behind the screen, as it were. Enough of my rambling. Let's get into today's interview with uh, Matt and Joseph from Eldritch Foundry. All right, welcome to Rollin' Bones, and uh, today on the show, uh, I have uh, the co-founders of Eldritch Foundry, which is a forthcoming custom miniature website. 
We have uh, Matt and Joseph on the line with us. Guys, how you doing? Great. How are you? We're doing wonderful. I'm doing pretty good. I got my coffee. We have our Coke. <laughs> Not the nose guy. Gotcha. It's uh... <laughs> <laughs> We're all this, uh, this podcast is being recorded at two completely different times of day, for those of you who aren't aware. Uh, it is nine in the morning for me, and it's, what, five in the evening for you guys? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's it's happy hour here. Seems like I should have brought a beer on. That's that's always a good policy. Yep. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> you, you have scotch in your office. I have scotch <laughs> in my office. It is always good to have scotch in your office. You can never go wrong with a good single malt. That's true. My wife hates scotch, but it's okay. She can be wrong about something. Never tell her that. <laughs> that's true. I shouldn't tell her that. All right, so guys, we are going to – I'm going to ask you these uh, same questions that I ask everyone that comes on the show, and then we're going to get into some questions specific to what you guys are doing. So starting off, uh, how did you guys get into RPGs? Oh, wow, that's huh, old school. Um, I'll start. I, yeah. I, I began playing in in – Middle school, pretty much. Uh, um, the I saw a group of uh, of guys playing, uh, or, or they were talking about playing, and it sort of piqued my interest because I heard about the indie, and I never actually had anybody who was willing to play it. Uh, I was like, just can can I join? Is that a thing? Uh, and then we played essentially all through middle school up till high school. Um, and then and then I got recruited. Uh, so after a brief stint in the army, it sort of dropped off for like a good fifteen years until Joseph here sort of roped me back into. It. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I think mine. One day, uh, when I was just going from grade school to middle school, my dad came home with a red box. And it's like, here, it, it looks like something you would like. Really, your dad? Probably? Yeah, yeah. He, work, he worked for uh, the DOD, and they had um, 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 a book uh, book production, and they had the rights to translate it to Hebrew. Oh. So they translated, they translated Dungeons & Dragons to Hebrew. So he brought me the red box, translated to Hebrew, and he said, this looks like your bag. Here. Take it. Uh, and it was very sad playing the, the solo adventure all by yourself again and again, like, <laughs> like, like so many people apparently have done. And then uh, in middle school, uh, I discovered that one or two of my, my, my friends uh, actually played D&D, so we started our own uh, mini campaign. Because we were only three people, one DM and two people, Everybody had two characters, and we didn't, <laughs> and we didn't even bother naming them because <laughs> they were—they <laughs> kept dying. They kept dying. Oh. The good old days of D and D, where a heavy rain would would wipe out uh, the entire village. Yeah. Uh, uh, and again, after a 15 years break, I discovered Critical Role, and. And Dragon Friends, which is an Australian podcast, uh, completely, completely insane. Uh, 
and and that you know it was a trip down memory lane and uh, I felt all those uh, all those urges coming back again to roll them dice so uh, I got I got a, a group together and uh, we started playing and here we are here we are so uh, next question for you guys uh, it, it sounds like you both kind of answered this already what was your first game like which edition did you guys start with oh. AD&D second edition uh, ba- uh, you know the 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 basic the red box and then AD&D I did not know that that red box D&D came with a solo adventure but that that makes sense why it would I, I don't think it's it's like it's an example of an adventure it's not a proper adventure it's it's fairly short and obviously everybody played it and you know rolled the dice and this is how this is how it would work your dm would say something like blah 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 the troglodytes have ambushed your fighter i i don't remember back in the day in the days when elf was a class and and not race <laughs> i still remember thaco yeah thaco thaco was <laughs> I didn't start playing D&D until 2015, so I didn't experience any of this stuff, but I've done enough research and, and read those old books, so I, a lot of this stuff is familiar. Yeah, it was a math experience. It was. I just recently found out that apparently 2nd um, edition and the Red Box are not the same. The Red Box was a completely different edition, the boxed set, the basic master expert, blah, 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 and the rules would transition there would be a change of rules from one box to the other. That's why they had the rules cyclopedia, eventually. And those two editions coexisted. Very, very strange, strange days. And yeah, that was... I mean, at that point, they were publishing... There was Dungeons & Dragons and Advanced Dungeons & Dragons, and they were, I think, published by two different companies. It was all TSR. I remember TSR on the box. It was all TSR. Okay, gotcha. So what was your first game? D&D? Oh, my first game was a uh, fifth edition. Fifth edition. It's a good edition. It's a very good edition. I like it. Yeah. I don't know why people why people bag on it. I I like fifth edition. I think it's simple and nice. It's sweet. It's so well designed. That's something I've I've noticed. A lot of the more experienced people, the people like I guess who started with AD and D, seem to really like fifth edition, and then it's a lot of the I think it's a lot of the people who came in with Pathfinder or 3.5 or 4th edition who are now bagging on 5th edition. I mean, if you like if you like that complexity then sure go ahead, but back in the day we played I played at least Heroes, I played Middle-earth role-playing game. Uh, there was uh, something called Co-Dominion, which may have been a completely homebrew system. Oh, I played Earth Dawn and... Uh, Shadowrun? Earth Dawn, Shadowrun, and all the old-school vampire, the, the Masquerade, never and played the those. Vampire of the Middle Ages. They're great systems, but they're... They're terrible to manage. They're, they're hard to manage. Yeah. I mean, 5th edition is... is Sweet. It's streamlined. <laughs> I think is is the best word to describe it. Yeah. If you want complexity, then sure. Yeah. Some people like it. Yeah, some people like accounting. Yep. I'm an econ major. I know what, you know. (laughs) Some people like it, Eric, so it's fine. Uh Yeah. So 
what was the first uh, named character that you guys played? Because I know you mentioned, uh, Joseph, that your characters weren't named that first time you played. I do not remember. I remember I used to play uh, an, uh, a wizard, uh, and I do remember him surviving quite a few... Uh, unlikely scenarios but i for the life of me I've, I've been trying to recall his name for like a year now and i do not remember uh i do remember the first character i played when i came back to playing <laughs> we all do we all do touring touring my warforged monk ah oh, god yeah monks man the ba- the bane of the dm um i cannot for the life of me to remember my named characters, if I even had those, I do remember being cornered into being uh, the cleric, all the all the time, all the time. Heal but extraordinaire. That doesn't seem like you at all. It, it does not seem like me. And back in the day, a cleric uh, could not even wield the sword. I remember, of course. You only had blunt weapons, <laughs> so yes. you were stuck with quite possibly the worst character in the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I recall, like, from, from old school Baldur's Gate, but, uh, they weren't that bad, were they? I think Baldur's Gate was third edition. No, Baldur's Gate was second edition. Second? Of the original one. Yeah. You you never saw the the underlying numbers because they're terrible. So. I, n- I never played Baldur's Gate. <gasps> there, there, you have my dark secret. <laughs> I haven't played Baldur's Gate either, it's alright. I'll get to it one day. Do either of you GM as well as play? Or do both of you GM as well? As I GM. You sub GMs a lot. I GM a few one shots. Uh, nothing massive. Yeah. How would you guys describe your play styles, uh, Matt and Joseph as uh, players, and then Joseph as a DM as well? Uh, my play style is. Yeah, go ahead. Go, go ahead. on. That's a good question. Um. Hmm. How would I describe it? Um. I don't know. Maybe you can describe my, my play style better. Sure. Reckless. <laughs> in, in a word. Reckless. What? My character had, like, no intelligence. Yeah. No, no, no intelligence and a mechanoid and basically, yeah. I'll just charge headlong into... My, my, ba- my baseline idea is that RPGs are meant to be fun and they're meant to be enjoyable and... It's all about the story. So while I'm super invested in, in my characters, some would say far too much, um, I'm A-OK with them dying. Yeah. I'm A-OK with... I have actively tried to see how far I can take my character before he snuffs it. Pretty far. Pretty far. Pretty, Pretty far. damn far. Yeah, you're the good cleric there. Um, <laughs> me, yeah. I, love, I love the Warlocks, both as a GM and as a player. So uh, the slow corruption would be my style. I like to put moral dilemmas in front of players uh, and have them screw themselves um, as far as they can into the corner. Um, and <laughs> it does. I do. It really does. And also, I like to play those morally questionable characters. Uh, um, so I-, I think that covers it. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it. You would have liked the game that I played uh, the the first time I actually played. I did a 
basically three year campaign with the same group. Three wow. year, dude. That's impressive. That is impressive. That's How most of us were most of us were in college, How? so okay. we were together. Okay. That's a different time span. But my ranger was given by my DM. It was basically it was a scimitar that. If it was together, it was a plus two longsword. <clears throat> but if you split it apart, it became two plus one scimitars. Okay, cool. But they were cursed. <laughs> and I, I forget what the weapon it was. I think it was like a, it's like an avenging blade or something like that. It's the one that makes you have battle frenzy, essentially. Mm-hmm. And if someone attacks you, you have to make a wisdom save, or you can only attack that person. <laughs> I like that. You had that as well. I did have that thing, right? Right. Yeah. The extra arms. The extra arms that yeah. murder people. Yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah. I gave. I gave. Uh, I, uh, I gave Turing his monk extra arms, which which are very nice. They came in with an extra attack and advantages on climbing, and also he cannot control himself while attacking. He always straight out murders whatever he attacks. Uh, nor, nor can he ignore people hurting him. He must attack them. Never got to that. You, you kept murdering whoever <laughs> attacked I, I, I focused on one dude and just beat him senseless. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I, I like those. But then at the end of that campaign, our bard at some point was presented with a phylactery because we we'd fought a lich, and she became a lich. I, I will do the same. Fair enough. And so we're... We're getting ready, like, we're staring down Tiamat. We're about ready to fight her. We're level 20. And then suddenly, our bard just goes, and I turn on the party. I'm a lich. <laughs> <clears throat> that that sounds like the right thing to do. I'm, I must say. <laughs> you may as well go long haul. Yeah. So, guys, what's the most fun game you've ever played or run? Yeah. No, I think, I think your campaign. Mine? Yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah, my my old school campaign back in my high school days was run by. Um, though DMing has improved quite a DMing bit, um, but you know, um, younger people tend to sort of um, not own up to mistakes. Um, so in in my high school campaign, DM used to sort of um, whenever. He, if let's say he put a he put us up against a green dragon, an adult green dragon, and we we took him down handily, um, and for him it was like you shouldn't be able to do this. He was supposed to wipe the floor with you. What, what's going on? Nope. Redcon, mama. I'm sure. redconning the whole thing. He turns into mist and he just flies off. And it was like, but we he was dead on the floor. Nope, not dead. Not not a thing. Uh, so the good old days of second edition. Yeah. Rock falls, everybody dies. Pretty much. Um, I think I think Joseph's campaign is pretty much the, the most fun because I don't know maybe I've grown older but I like I like actions having consequences I like <laughs> I, I do I really enjoy it I mean it's it's not like when you you play a computer game and like like an like an RPG where you're automatically the hero and no matter what you do you're absolutely right um, I like it that that you know. All right, so we we disrespected the the village elders, and now the village is out to get us. And you know, in retrospect, yeah, can't can't really fault them for that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Nope, 
there. If you cast <laughs> our campaign with the consequences, I, I also go with that. Uh, our cleric decided to cast Zone of Truth. And if you look at the school of enchantment, that's the really evil school. Not not necromancy. Necromancy, you raise dead, you talk to them, you heal people, it's fine. Enchantment is basically you're walking around with a magical ruhypno. Uh, you you mind rape whoever you come across. <laughs> so, the, so the priest goes and casts a zone of truth on a bunch of fighters. And it's like, why won't they talk to me? Because they resisted and they know that you tried to rape them. And uh, they don't like that. Shockingly, he, I think I think to this day he he still does not accept that explanation that people were like, yeah, but what's the problem if if you're a good guy then you would not mind you know having a truth serum injected right into you and then being questioned why would you mind you're okay and I was like I don't know I don't think we live in yeah what kind of society accepts that. Yeah, this isn't 1984. Yeah, no, but he was, he, he, to this day, he's adamant that none of why people should, should be have accepting worked. that. I mean, what should have worked? Problem? Yeah. Innocent people have nothing to fear of the police. Nothing. By the way, not, the, <laughs> not his character. The, the actual player is, is full on in that mode. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, the character is like, fine, I get it. Some characters are like, sure, you're a, you're an inquisitor. Sure, fine. I get it. But the player behind it has that mindset. And he's like, oh, God. I don't know. Not sure how your wife handles you, but sure. They did not make many friends in that campaign. No. Lots of enemies, though. Lots <laughs> of enemies. And so, uh, building off of that question, what's the least fun game you guys have ever played or run? I'll take a pass on that question. <laughs> Uh, actually, uh, Joseph and I had a campaign uh, a while back that, after a while, I said sort of, you know what, I'm just not having fun with the players around the table, and you know what, I'm just going to do the adult thing, and I, everybody, you know, good luck every day, you, you know, you, you do you, and I'm just going to, I'm just going to walk away. Um... I think it's mostly uh, it, it, at the end of the day, you have to to play with people you enjoy playing with. I think that's the most important thing. Um, I, I I've seen people sort of stay in, and it's sort of like a somewhat toxic relationship where where people are, you know. Let's put it this way: when I look at critical role play, I love the way that they play. Um, not because they do the amazing voices and they're like all into their characters. I think the main thing that I love about how they play is that one guy talks or, or one or one girl talks and nobody speaks over them. They talk and they give each other their own space to do their own character development. And even when they, they know that somebody's doing something wrong, you can see them like they want to pipe up and then they're like, nope, nope, I'm not. It's your character. You do you. You know if you're doing something wrong, it's on you. you. Play your character. It's fine. And that's, I think, the, like, that's what I really love about how they play. Yeah. Yeah. I, I completely, I wholeheartedly agree that, that the ability to, you know, to make room for other people. Yeah. Super important. 
if you could turn any fictional universe into an RPG, or if you could take a, uh, a fictional universe that had an RPG back in the day but hasn't had one in a while, and kind of bring it to the modern world, what would it be? Bring it to the modern world? The modern system? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Planescape. Planescape. That, that, that was an amazing universe. Amazing. And it's hopefully coming back all by itself. It is. I think I think they're doing a Planescape soon. Um, I think the world I miss the most and is is old school. Um, well, there are two systems I think that I really miss. One is old school um, vampire, the world of vampire. I used to love the lore. I mean, the whole dark secret world at the background with the mages and the werewolves and and the whole and the whole. Um, the whole system seemed amazing to me, and when they um, and when they redid the system with the new world of darkness a while back, it sort of felt like it, it sort of fell through. I like I like the the seeing in of the of, of the real world into the game. Uh, I haven't really followed the new new world of darkness. I know they've done a reboot uh, and have had some issues with that, um, but I haven't really followed that. And I think the other game system, the I re- the reboot is the one with the gay concentration camp in yeah, Russia. Yeah, I, I was sort of I was sort of skirting around that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just making they, sure that. I'm, yeah, yeah that, that's that's what's that they did not. Yeah, that, that no. Uh, <laughs> and the other no, that that not not a perfect remake. Uh, and I think and I think the other game system I really liked, um, mostly from a lore perspective, uh, was Earth Dawn. I really loved Earth Dawn. The whole horror theme, the whole um, you know, the old world and how people are sort of coming out of the out of their vaults essentially. Um, yeah. yeah, I like Rifts as well, but playing it is completely batshit insane. Uh, the lore is wonderful, but the system itself is unplayable. It's it's broken. From the get-go, so. Um, but yeah, Planescape is the one for me. Yeah. What about you? I want a Highlander RPG. Highlander. Highlander. Interesting. And I don't think anyone's ever made one. I'm pretty sure somebody made one. I think I think there was. And if they did, it was probably like back in either 1984 when the movie came out or in like 1991 when the show was on that sounds about right well we're, we're old enough to remember in 1991 uh, I remember that uh, um, I think they, they had something like that I, I, I have this like vague vague recollection that there was a, a Highlander game uh, but yeah I haven't seen Highland, Highlander in years <laughs> great movie well, no, no, no. It wasn't the first. Was the first one, <laughs> great movie. Yep. The one where he's in the future and everything's weird. Not that great. I'm I'm trying to get my wife into Highlander right now, and I told her there's one good movie and one good TV show, and that's all you need to know about Highlander. Fair enough. Fair enough. Sounds about right. Yep. Yep. 
And then my last of these uh, introductory questions before we kind of dive into the stuff about Eldritch Foundry, uh, for both of you guys, if you could put one thing on a t-shirt, what would it be? Oh, easy. I'm trying to get that done. I'm trying, uh, the, the Waldorf and Stadler uh, from the Muppets yeah. on the t-shirt. I just, I just need a good legend to put, like, good caption for it. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I have this old shirt of mine that's um, like a, a Bohemian Rhapsody with uh, with Star Wars villains. Uh, yeah, it's it's really great, but it's sort of fraying at the edges. Have I seen it? You have, but it's it's getting really yeah, yeah it's getting really really well worn at this point. And I really want another one just like it, and I can't find it anywhere, and it's driving me insane. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's me. So, kind of jumping into some of the uh, the Eldritch Foundry questions, how did you two end up meeting? Oh, <laughs> coming, come my Beamish boy. Um, <laughs> back, back in 2012, uh, Matan and I both fresh out of our master's degree or just uh, the finishing stages of it. Uh, we transitioned into the actual job market as, um... No, I was, I think that was your first real job. That was my second job. My first job was in, uh... Bank of Israel? Yeah, in the Federal Reserve, uh, and... Federal. It's the Federal Reserve. Do we have information? Uh, in the local Federal Reserve. Fine. Um, um... But yeah, we worked in a research firm, a research and consulting firm. Um, we did benchmarks in. I I did um, I did benchmark and uh, benchmarks and um, and policy research for um, for the government sector mostly. Yeah, and, and I uh, did I did benchmarks and innovation research for financial institutions mostly. And we worked the service companies. Yeah, and we worked together on a few uh, on a few joint researches. Uh, some of which sort of failed upwards. Yeah. <laughs> Haunt us to this very day. We, we, we're not... We've made a change and it was for the worse. Yeah, yeah, we're not, we're, we're not proud of, of some of them. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, um, I set up Joseph with his wife. It's true. A thing to which I am eternally sorrowful to, to this day. I, I'm still. I, I I have to apologize like twice weekly. You have, you have to atone for your sins. Yeah. Uh, and that that's how we met. Yeah. And uh, for each of you, since I mean this thing is is kind of built around miniatures. When did miniatures actually enter your games? Like when do you first remember using minis? High school, Warhammer Fantasy. <laughs> Awesome. I, though, to be completely honest, and I know I'm, I may be saying something that's seriously wrong here, I I don't like, I, I do not enjoy wargaming at all. I love the miniatures, uh, so while my friends played Warhammer Fantasy, I built I built and painted their models. That's what that's what I. Yeah. Um, actually, only in our last campaign did I get into minis. Uh, back in the day, we're talking like the 90s in Israel, <clears throat> minis were hard to come by. 
There was the one shop. There was the one shop, and it was for Warhammer mostly. That's what there was. No, it's fine, it's fine. There was, like, the one shop. We played with... I can't even remember what we used to play with. It was, like, uh, a graph paper and, I don't know, coins, maybe? Uh, what, in the beginning? No, 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 not us. Back, back, back in, then? Back in the 90s, graph paper and coins. Something, yeah. something silly. We played theater of the mind yeah. all the way. We did not have free cash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. I, I started out, uh, not Warhammer Fantasy, but I started out playing Warhammer 40k, and I very quickly realized that I did not have the kind of disposable income that that game requires. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's throwing cash at each other, pretty much. And so, uh, Matt, you said that you you paint. Joseph, do you paint at all? Terribly. <laughs> I paint terribly. Uh, I do, but I'm just not very good at it. I'm, like, mediocre on my best day. Painting is something that I, I very recently started to appreciate miniatures, and I started painting them, and now I'm addicted because... It's very zen-like. It's fun. Yeah, it's it's very much zen. But then again, I, but then I look at you know my handiwork and get disappointed. So, but you've gotten actually much better. That's true. That's much true. better, very fast. And I started real. It, it wasn't it, it wasn't so much of a benchmark as sort of a. It wasn't a jump so much as like just get off the floor. Pretty much. Uh, and also we like have we both have very high hopes for for Games Workshop new contrast paint. They seem they look like magic. I don't know. I want I want the whole range. I'm I'm going to spend too much money on them. I know this already. I just want them in the market already. Company <laughs> It's office supplies. It's, it's office supplies. It's important. It's important. It's an it's a it's an integral part of our job. It's office supply par excellence. It's true. And so whose idea was it to start this this venture of yours um so the funny thing is uh we both were pretty unhappy with our day jobs uh a couple years back and we were looking at um all opening sorts, a store we did we were thinking of all sorts of things on how to get our lives not terrible uh <laughs> yeah uh, to relieve uh, ourselves of the horror of having a boss not that so much as just not want. I used to sit in my car like every day. I had like a, a, a morning pep talk or I would sit in my car every day for 30 minutes. And I was like, get, come on, come on, get, get out of the car. Get out of the car. Go to your job. It's important. You have kids. You're an adult. You're an adult. <laughs> Everybody has a job. Just go to do the job. Do the 30 minutes every day. Uh, it was a hard, hard, hard time. Um <laughs> And we looked at all sorts of things uh, we could do. We even thought of starting. You remember the, the blockchain thing? Yeah, the art blockchain thing it that we. It was a terrible idea. It, just it was didn't a terrible idea. It just didn't turn out. We we spent like half a year trying to figure out if we can make a, a, a thing for artists and blockchain and whatever. Didn't quite pan out. Uh, and then we were thinking of opening a local um, gaming store. Yeah, um, but then we were playing in our campaign, um, and we were looking at. Um, I ordered a few customized miniatures online, and um, we were looking at it, and was like, 
and 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 I I told Yusuf and I told Joe's like you know I don't know I mean it, there can't be only like the one store it, it's not it doesn't seem right I'm and oh, I had and I had to to um, you know to, to to search quite a bit until I actually sort of stumbled on the one place that does customizable miniatures. Um, and and there I was like, but you know, it's this can this is fun, but it can be so much more fun. Um, and that sort of got us thinking on on UI and user experience and what you can do for the game. Um, and then we were like, and and our next step because we both do things, we delve far too deeply when we do things. Um, and then we were like... Obsessive. The word is obsessive. I was trying to shy away from that word, but fine. Nope. nope. Uh, <laughs> no need. Fine. That's that's one way of looking at it. Um, and then we were like thinking about what's, what's the business model here? Because if we're doing a thing, we don't want to be just, just a me too. Uh, we wanted to do something that's better and and smarter and um has its own innovative flavor something that hasn't been done yet yeah i mean if if all we're doing is just copying somebody else verbatim it seemed like um you know at best we can be like like whoever we're copying um and that's sort of where we stumbled on our, our current business model of, of how we want the Eldritch Foundry to work, more than just an online shop. Um, you know, we were trying to work very much so hand-in-hand -hand with the community, with gaming stores, with artists online. Um, you remember that the initial thought was to yes. place a printer in every store. Our initial thought was 3D printing. Is, has grown much. The technology has matured to the point where it's a non-issue. We can just, you know, supply stores with a 3D printer and uh, they'll provide print, the system and provide the system and they'll print on site. It's not an issue. You can print a mini in under an hour, 30 minutes. What's the issue? That's not a thing. None, <laughs> not, none of the none of the words in that sentence <laughs> is true. <laughs> in retrospect. We were, whew, silly, silly. we were optimistic, like, t we were 10 years far too optimistic, at least, <laughs> at least. Um, but, but it taught us quite a bit. It's true. Yeah. So, so that's, it pretty much came up from a conversation where we were like, this is the mini I'm designing, and why, I don't, why can't I design this? Why does, you know... Why I want to design my new character, Gunslinger Dwarf, and there's no Gunslinger Dwarves. There's no. There's there's like maybe one miniature out there, and if I don't like it, then I have to kit bash something. And Yusuf and, and Joseph can attest. I can hammer a nail like two out of every three times. That's that's how good I am with my hands. Yep. Uh, <laughs> yep, yep, yep. When I have to, when I have to put up a picture in the house, my wife has to leave the house just because she she doesn't want to be in the vicinity of the destruction that ha that's happening in there. Um, 
So it was like, I, I want a gunslinger dwarf. Why can't I have a dwarf, a dwarf that doesn't look like a short human with a beard and with a gun? It's, it doesn't seem like a, a massive, you know, a massive ask. It is. It is. It, it is a massive ask. It is, yeah. In case you were wondering. Yeah, no, in retrospect, again, very much a difficult thing to do. We manage. So what is it that Eldritch Foundry is bringing to the table that you feel that Hero Forge lacks? Well, I'm, I I don't want to say anything bad about Hero Forge. I have several nothing, of their... Nothing but respect for them. Really? Their system in re- is... Years ahead of their time. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a massive thing to build. It's not simple. Uh, I have many, many Hero Forge models. Far too many, some would say. Um... Your wife. My wife, for one, yes. My bank account, for for another. Um, I think the main thing that we're trying to do here that's um, unique and new, outside of sort of the mainline things that are simple to say, that, like, we think our system is massively fun. We've built it from the ground up to be sort of very game-like, much more... Um, much more interactive, much more fun. Uh, there's like the whole lore section behind every item and race and thing that we're doing, uh, written by the amazing Patrick Stewart. Not that one. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so the system is fun. We're trying to make sure our models are very high quality. We're trying to, we're trying to make at least a, sort of a Kingdom Death type type feel for our minis. Um, We're working very hard to make every race a proper race, and not just, oh, these are humans with a beard. These are humans with horns. Yeah, I mean, as the, as the common common art usually shows. Like, what would dwarves look like? What do elves look like? I mean, uh, one of our modelers uh, is struggling, and we are pretty much the same position. We are pretty much set on how we want our dwarves to look, our male dwarves. We know. We've done quite a bit of work. They look, I think, amazing. Uh, our female dwarves, on the other hand... I challenge you to find good good art of female dwarf, which is not basically like a short human. Yeah. Um, so so it's, a hard, it's a hard thing. We don't want them to be just sort of short, stocky um, female, female humans. Yeah. Uh, we had the same thing with elves. Yeah. Try to find an elf which is basically not you know, Kate Moss with ears. Pretty much. So, so yeah, so we're trying to make sure our, our races are, are visually distinct from humans. Um, that's on the one, that's on sort of what, uh, what the end user sees. So the system is fun. The models are, uh, I think top notch, but you know, for each his own. Um, the other thing that we're doing, um, in which we differ significantly, I think, um, is that we are trying to work in more than just an online environment. We're more than just an online sh- uh, shop where you can, you know, order your mini. Um, our mainline, our mainline offering, uh, the thing that we've been working on very hard, is to get stores interested. Uh, we would like to be in essentially every local gaming store in the U.S. We bring, we give each store a tablet with our um, with our web app, you know locked into it and then you can order in the store and our business model is 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 such that for every store owner where when somebody orders a mini via the app or 
on a mobile phone or tablet or, or local or you know computer or laptop or whatever, um, the store gets a cut of each uh, each purchase order. each order, and we incentivize people to ship to their store rather than to their homes. Um, so instead of ch having to charge shipment, yeah, uh, you can get it at your local store for free. Right, since a lot of people just go to their store anyway every week or every two weeks. Yeah. It's it's sort of, you know, you can cut off some of the price um, like straight off the top. Um, and that does two things. And One strengthen the community in the process. Yeah. I mean that's sort of the main thing. We're trying to do we're not just saying we 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 work hand in hand with the community. I think that's one of the main things that, that helps that. Um, one it helps stores, you know, more walk-ins, more people who come to purchase things, uh, to pick up things. It helps the stores thrive, and I think stores are pretty much a linchpin in the community. And um, and the other thing is, you know, um, it helps people meet up with a community, or if they're doing it anyway, it just helps people, you know, pay less, and that's also a good thing, yeah. I think. And also selfishly, it helps us uh, be in touch with the community instead of having a, um, a product life cycle, development cycle, which is completely detached from the end user. Yeah. This way we get to hear from from store owners that we have heard, like, uh, do, do those races. They're super hard to find. Yeah, I mean... Everybody, uh, everybody wants a cat person. Do those. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so, yeah, so essentially we bring the stores sort of, um, instead of them competing with an online you know, character customizer, um, now they can bring it in and now they have a, a, an entirely new product line. Um, in which case, you know, if somebody comes to the stores and says, I want my Loxodon, uh, my Loxodon monk. Loxodon <laughs> rogue. Whatever. <laughs> and the store owner will say, that's, that's not a thing. There's there is no generic mini you that's, can buy of an elephant person who is also a rogue. A yeah, rogue. That's, that's not. It's not a thing. Um, so now we help them sort of a keep the purchases in house and b help people sort of you know find that specific miniature they want. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know for us it also helps because you know store owners will throw people our way. Um, so it's essentially, hopefully, a symbiotic, symbiotic uh, relationship. Uh, one thing that I will say that I've noticed in the the material that you've put out there, I mean, I've got Hero Forge models as well. The one thing that a lot of people get hung up with on them is kind of their art style. Some people, myself included, aren't aren't really a, a big fan of how the minis come out. It, a lot of them have large heads and they look a little bit cartoony but i really like what you guys have done in what i've seen so far it looks like you guys i don't really know how to describe it, it it's i think realistic is the wrong word but better proportioned i'd say we're trying to be um sort of high fidelity to reality you, uh, i mean the you thing... can't be you can't be properly proportionate right yeah if you take if you take if you take a spear is a good example. If you take a, a, a real spear, a real life spear, uh, it's about let's say a thick one would be an inch across, and if you scale it down, it just becomes this uh, completely anemic 
presenceless toothpick. So it's it's a matter of choosing what to bring out and how to bring it out while maintaining that uh, very distinct silhouette and very fine features wherever you can. Uh, it's a very it's a very tricky balance. Uh, yeah, I mean, one when we started, um, we we started out with models that were true scale, completely true scale, proportionate to the infinite degree. They were exactly as a human should be, for instance. And when we printed them out, they seemed you couldn't see the eyes. You couldn't see the eyes. You couldn't see the mouth. Um, weapons see felt. Fragile, you know. It's unimpressive. Yeah. Um, so, and when you play with miniatures, one of the things that 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 you learn is that you have to exaggerate things. You have to make the eyes too big. You have to make the head a bit too big. The hands have to be a bit sausage fingery. Um, a bit like you put a, a basketballer's palm on a slightly shorter person. Exactly. So large, largish. And that's because when you do miniatures, um, I mean, you you have to break the actual proportions. Um, but if you do it in a very very conscious way, you can make it feel very good. I mean, Kingdom Death does this amazingly well. Um, Games Workshop, uh, their fantasy line, I think, is amazing. Like hands down, they're, they're very good. Um, uh, Steamforge, Steamforge, do. Amazing minis, yeah. very good. We we constantly look them up and we're like we look, we look at them for inspiration. Yeah, they're right. amazing. Um, there are so there are so many there are so many really good miniature producers out there. Yes, so many, and uh, we get inspired by them on a daily basis. Um, and having said that, we have our own unique set of challenges where we don't make the the one and done. You can sculpt something to the umpteenth degree and then say, okay, I'm done with that. Yeah, I mean... We have to make everything mash together. Yeah, I mean, eventually, let's say uh, you want to make a half dwarf. So you want to, uh, uh, say, a human-sized dwarf. So you can go either, you know, take a human just and put a, a dwarf dwarvish head on him and make him thicker. Or you could just take a dwarf and scale him up until he until he is essentially the, the equivalent of a six-foot human. Um, there are all sorts of ways of going about this. Um, but, you know, there are pitfalls in each one. Um, but, but, yeah, I mean, one of the reasons that we're, we haven't caught up on our, our schedule of races is because we are working very hard to make sure each and every race, each and every... Yeah. Each and every item will bring their fit own well. Yeah, we'll maintain that fine featured look while keeping the very distinct silhouette and division for having proper proper races, like proper anatomy. And, yeah. Yeah. And you guys have mentioned um, your lore guy and a whole bunch of other people. Uh, who all is working with you on this project? Ooh. Um. So our lore guy uh, is Patrick Stewart, who wrote Veins of the Earth and uh, Fire Upon the Velvet Horizon, uh, Maze of the Blue Medusa. Um, he's pretty prolific, the dude. Yeah, and his writing is 
amazing. I love his writing. I mean, um, he's written us over a hundred pages of, of lore so far. So yeah. far, and there's going to be like at least twice that I think by the time we're done. About yeah. Yeah. Um, he's basically writing an entire campaign setting. Yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah, and we're going to make it all. By the way, we're going to make all of it uh, freely available via World Anvil, which we've uh, taken on their uh, their platform. We're partners. Not really partners, oh, just we pay for the platform, yeah, and uh, <laughs> I think it's a sort of a quid pro quo type thing. Uh, <laughs> That's how commerce works. Yeah. yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, but everything's going to be freely available, and everybody can look it up. the The background is very, very cool. I love reading it. Uh, Patrick writes amazingly well. Um, we have an editor, John Sieber, and I am John. I am absolutely. Butchering. But I'm probably butchering your name. I'm 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 sorry. I'm sorry. I I, I don't know how to pronounce it. Uh, we have our community manager in Georgia, Ashley Gilbert, who is doing great work with us and the guys from the D4 stream, uh, which we have partnered with. Uh, we are now. I don't know if I can say that. Uh, come on, no. Uh, we're working on trying to make uh, a few more connections with other streamers. Yeah, basically, um, basically, up to two weeks ago, we were nobody. Nobody knew of us because yeah. we were working under the radar. Yeah. So we're 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 in the process of catching up, uh, shaking hands, and uh, seeing who you know. Suddenly, people want to work with us and know who we are and say, well, "What you're doing is cool." Yeah. Um, we've worked with Mark Mir, uh, who's known as uh, Commander Shepard of Mass Effect. The male Commander Shepard. Uh, <laughs> uh, Jennifer Haley? Haley, I think? Haley, right. Uh, Femship is, uh, I have a friend who, who constantly, who constantly harangues me that there is no such thing as a male Commander Shepard. There is only Femship. Uh, <laughs> So, uh, so yeah, so we've done uh, Mark Mears, uh Alvius, for instance, for his, for the upcoming uh, Beamdog Baldur's Gate uh, remake. Um, we've got a few more partnerships that we're working on, though I'm not sure we can talk about them quite yet. Um, I think that's our that's our U.S. Um, that's our U.S. office. Our Israeli office has uh, me. Basically, uh, our minions. Our minions, essentially, our our our, our worker drones. Our Morlocks. <laughs> yeah. We, we have described <laughs> the Eloy. Uh, the Morlocks make the assets. <laughs> make me another sword, minion. Yeah. So um, so we have we have quite a few modelers here in Israel. Um, it's a weird thing. There's like a very very thriving 3D modeling community in Israel. Um, one of our modelers worked on Game of Thrones. He did the dragons. He did the, some of the Unsullied armor. All sorts of weird, crazy things. Um, our head modelist, head modeler now, um, worked on the Muppets. Yeah. Well, uh, but let's leave that. Let's leave that. Yeah. Fine. D Disney, sure. Disney being Disney. Sure. I will let's not, not talk about them. Let's not talk about the mouse. Um, <laughs> So so yeah so our our head modeler is um, is very prolific and has worked on quite a few big budget 
Uh, 3D Productions, our other modelers are somewhat fresher, but very enthusiastic about the whole thing. Um, yeah. Anima animators in Russia and... No? Really? No. The... The hotspots are from... I, I do not have animators in Russia. <laughs> so just... where did that... <laughs> that came from Israel. No. Really? Yeah. But why was everything in Russian? Nothing was in Russian. I am so confused right now. <laughs> <laughs> nothing, sure. nothing, nothing was well, Russian we, ever. We do quite a bit of freelance work from outside of Israel. Uh, we've done some work with um, all sorts of countries. Uh, New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> We've worked with uh, Delaney King out of... I think she's from New Zealand? I think she's from Australia. She's a, she's Australian? Uh, um, so we've done quite a bit of work with, uh, with all sorts of countries all over the place. What's the, the process that goes into getting the miniatures made once the order is placed? Like, what, what kind of work then has to go in? Ooh, what from once the system is live and somebody goes online and makes his perfect mini and then just sort of clicks create? What happens then? Yes. Um, right, that's a good question. Um, let's put it this way: if we're not at full capacity, we make them here in our home office. Uh, we print them. We have um, we have a couple of uh, of production printers, big heavy industrial printers that require their own. Uh, electrical outlet, all sorts of weird things like that. Um, so we make them here. Uh, we uh, essentially print them out. They come out in wax supports, so we, we print them out. We freeze them so we can take off uh, the mini. Then we melt off the wax supports, and then we do sort of a bulk shipment of all the minis we printed uh, in a single run over to the States. Um, we have our shipping center in Jersey, they repackage all the minis into their uh, lovely, lovely boxes, and then they ship them out. It's a fairly simple thing, really. Yeah. You've mentioned the creation tools and how you kind of wanted to gamify them a little bit. Um, what sort of things have you put into these creation tools? What have we done to make them gamified? Uh, well, for the first thing, um, we don't... One of the things that um, we like to do, uh, or what we think is, um, when you when you go out and make your own character, at this point, by the time you've already gone online and looked up custom miniature, and you're um, you pretty much know what you're making. I mean, it's fairly rare when you're like online and you're like, you know what? Mm, I don't. What's go, what's my next D and D mini? I don't know what my next character looks like. You, at least from our experience. Uh, uh, tell the truth. How many characters do you have lined up to play? I've actually made, uh, I think I've got four or five that I've conceptualized, and some of them I've actually made. Haven't gotten the minis shipped or anything like that, but I've, I've messed around with some creation. Yeah, so so I, I, for instance, have like six or seven mini, uh, you know, characters lined up in D and D Beyond for at, at any given moment. Uh, <laughs> sort of fluctuate between which ones I want to play for no good reason, really. I'm we, sorry. Do you, you, making you, making characters is a reason in and of itself. Do you have time so, to play those characters? I don't see the relevance of that question. Okay, sure. Uh, 
<laughs> so, oh, it's the same logic for buying games on Steam. Pretty much. Yes. <laughs> exactly. I don't see the rest. What do you mean? Why do I make characters? I make characters. It's a. It's a thing. I don't know. Uh, so by the time I've gone on, I've gone online. And I'm. I, I know what character I'm. I'm going to play. Uh, we're going. I'm going to make rather. So when you start out, you don't start out with a naked dude on screen uh, in our site. You start out with our wizard. Our wizard essentially is the eldritch founder uh, of which Patrick wrote so so well. Um, and you get asked a series of questions. What race are you? What class are you? What do you think you're wearing and what do you think you're wielding? Sort of four very simple questions which, you know, help you start out in the general vicinity of where you want to be. You know, I want to play a dwarven gunslinger. That means I'm a, I'm a dwarf. Uh, my class is probably fighter. Um, I am wearing probably leather armor, and I'm wielding some sort of gun. So, um, using that, those questions, our system randomly generates for you uh, a character that answers those questions. So you start out with something in the vicinity of what you think, and now you found, fine-tune it. You know, uh, I don't want a pistol, I want a rifle. I don't think I, my beard is not uh, unkempt, it, is, it should be like a well-groomed dwarven beard. I have a mohawk. I'm, you know what, my, my gunslinger is in full plate. I don't care. Uh, things like that. So, so you can sort of start out and, and make the process more fun and, and clear. And uh, once you're there, you, you essentially go through the motions of, of going through all the stages. So you can skip a few. You don't have to go through the whole thing again. Um, but you can go back and say, you know what, I've changed my mind. I don't like a dwarf in Gunslinger. I think my dwarf should be, I don't think a dwarf is relevant at all. An elven Gunslinger is much more my thing now. So you can go back and switch over to elf. And when you click on elves or when you click on races, when you click on races, you will see sort of a, a general description of our world of food. Um, and then when you'll click on a race, you... When you click on elves, you'll see a description of our elves, our eight. Yeah. Um, what's the lore behind them? What's the lore behind them? And when you go over and say, all right, so uh, not leather armor, but rather plate. Um, there are varieties of plate armor, some that are elven plate and some that are human plate, for instance, or dwarven plate. And they each have a bit of a story behind them. Um, it's kind of like playing old school. Um, old school, like, you know, maybe not even old school, like... Uh, um, Numenera, uh, Torment Numenera that that came out uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, yeah. Every item, everything there has, you know, you you don't have to click on it. You don't have to go into it and read the three pages of everything. You don't have to go into every book in Skyrim and read the whole thing. I do because I'm insane, but that is everyone a thing. has read the Lusty Argonian Maid. <laughs> everyone. Yes. <laughs> it's uh, so so we think it it's fun so it's sort of like you know Dark Souls you can run through Dark Souls and not read a single thing in the background but some people enjoy reading about each and every boss and why they're there and why the world looks like 
the way it looks. Um, and that's sort of the, the feel that we want, you know, want people to have. Basically, basically we, we thought about, like, what would we want <laughs> in an online platform that does that? We, we want to recreate that, that experience, which we enjoyed so much. Yeah. And, and, and we did, because we can, and that's it. Yeah, <laughs> basically. Yeah. So you guys, your, your Kickstarter is still ongoing, yeah. correct? Indeed. Two more weeks. Tell me a little bit about this condition dial that you guys have on the on the base, because that's that's a really cool, unique thing that it, it seems like you guys have developed here. If you if you've played recently or even watched, there really is no good way to mark conditions while you play. Everybody uses the 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 rings from uh, solved ring tabs, uh, and it's it works. But it, it looks it looks like it sounds. Uh, it's just a piece of plastic that you that, you know you scavenged. And we were thinking, what we're trying to think like in the design space. What are the blanks that we see that are that there is no solution for? So we were thinking, we're, you know, we 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 have a few more ideas kicking around. But this was one of the things that like we can we can just since we're printing. And we're not uh, casting. We can print basically the the, the working parts. Since we're printing with wax support, yeah. one of the things about 3D printing is um, maybe so, I should sort of see into that yeah, now. Yeah. Um, in most 3D printers uh, out there, and most uh, what people do in 3D printing, what everybody essentially does, um, you print plastic with plastic. You can't just print. Uh, you don't print out the mini without anything out there. You print it on supports. It's kind of like, it's kind of like the sprue for the mini. Um, and then you have to take it off. Um, but since we are printing with wax supports and they melt off, we can print complex moving parts. Moving parts um, easily. Yeah, in place. And right off the bat, we don't have to, to do a lot of work. We don't have to print out multiple parts and then mash them together, or we don't have to do you know multiple lines of things and build them around. It helps. It helps us, uh, you know, do things that are interesting and weird, and and you know nobody else is doing out there. And we were looking around for something that meshes well with with what we can do. And something that's, you know... We would like to have. We would like to have. Uh, as and players. As players. And we thought about it. And one of the things that we kept going around was, you know, in most combat encounters in D&D, um, you know, a character will go through one round of being stunned, one round of being poisoned. Only one... if you have a monk. Multiple <laughs> rounds of being stunned. Uh, uh, <laughs> I love monks. Um, so, so we were thinking about what would be nice to have on our characters that we won't have to mark off on a sheet somewhere and just sort of remember because visually remember. Um, and we sort of came upon the idea that why not put the conditional markers on the base itself? It seems like, you know, most bases are, are, are sort of slightly raised. There's room on the bottom. Just... Put a small, you know, uh, arrow on the base, and you can rotate things around, and you can just show on the base itself what's what's your character going through. Yep. Um, 
there is the issue of of WizKids patent, bless them. Um, but but we've gone through quite a few rounds of engineering and patent lawyers and all that legal fun 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 meetings. Um, at which, by the way, we have been looked upon very strangely. Nobody nobody understands what we're doing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but but still. Um, and we figured that if we if we can design something that doesn't infringe on every, on anybody's patent and that nobody's doing, and it just gives players an an, an added feature that that helps them. Yeah, yeah. And the response for that has been uh, pretty quite, good. quite positive. Yeah, yeah, quite positive. You don't have to use our our conditional marker. We you can choose not to print with it if you just like your own regular bases. Yeah. Absolutely fine by us. Mm -hmm. We we have a few more ideas uh, things we want and can do. Uh, like if you've seen our stretch goal, our ultimate stretch goal is uh, detachable familiars. Yeah. Uh, as I said, playing a warlock and having an imp sending him off to die instead of me <laughs> is like that. That's what you do when you have a familiar, right? You have you have. That's what you do when you have a familiar. Sure, sure. I don't just keep a cute fluffy one. You, you send it, like, is this trapped? I don't know. Let's let the imp that I can <laughs> summon again open the chest. Oh, look, it was. Give me an hour. <laughs> yeah. And he's back. But, you know, you know, when you're doing uh, tactical combat and you're using a map, it's super useful if you can detach your imp, which you would obviously want on your character because... It's your character and it has an imp or an owl or whatever, uh, and uh, send it to fly around and cause some havoc. Um, so that's one of the things that we're also working towards designing. Um, yeah. So you can make a, yeah, a character with a, either um, sort of um, an inset where you can put in magnets or a, sort of um, a, sort of a plus minus connector where you can sort of. Yeah, male to female. Male to female, that's the word. Uh, where you can sort of attach and detach the, the familiar from the base or from the hand or from the shoulder or whatever. Uh, yeah, we, we, we're all for letting people choose. And this entire time we've been focused on D&D &D and fantasy type stuff. Uh, do you guys have plans for other genres that other role-playing games are Most in? definitely. For your miniatures. You've heard about the gunslinging dwarf, right? Yeah. Uh, my newest character. Uh, so, yeah. So, um, definitely. One of our first stretch, stretch goals was cyberpunk, which is sort of our midway uh, to sci-fi. Um, it will have guns. It will have deckers. It will have... Um, Combat boots. It will have uh, tactical helmets. Yeah, those things. Um, so, it's not... Exactly sci-fi. You won't have the astronaut suit, for instance, or the the jetpack, or the ray gun, or the ray gun. Um, but it's definitely a thing. So cyberpunk is definitely in there. Uh, steampunk is also a thing we're all very much fans of. So uh, that's also a stretch goal that we have unlocked um, thus far. So that's also in. And uh, and we definitely are planning. I mean. Once our ki once our Kickstarter ends and we go live in our with our system post Gen Con, it's not like our system is done. We're like, all right, we're good. 
everybody go home, order your minis, and you know, call us when there if there are issues. Um, our modelers are not going anywhere. We have our own development schedule, and one of the things that we would really like to do is make sure everybody knows our development schedule ahead of time. We're going to have it posted on our website. We're going to have it posted uh, wherever we can, essentially. Um, so people can see, you know, we've had people ask for, say, a Triton. Um, it's and not in the works. It's not in the works at the moment, but it's definitely a thing that we would like to have. So we can tell people, look, um, it's not going to be done in the next three months. But let's say we're going to do Tritons in uh, somewhere like Q2 2020. Uh, so we can tell people, listen, somewhere around uh, April or May of 2020, our, our race of the month is Tritons. Um, so people will know. One of the things that we want to do, um, and, we're, and we're pushing ourselves pretty hard for this. Yes, I know. Just enough. Uh, so we're pushing ourselves pretty hard on this, uh, that we want to do a new race every month and uh, he scoffs because uh, because I'm forcing him to do a new race I'm every not, month. I'm not scoffing, I'm sobbing. He's sobbing, internally. <laughs> uh, <laughs> one of the things we want to do is at least a race a month. Until we run out of races. Until we run out of races, but by the way things are looking uh, over at Wizards, I don't think that's a thing. Uh, <laughs> and then we'll start doing other things. Um, but we want to do at least a race a month. We want to do sort of maybe not a whole genre, but we definitely want to add um, like a few new sets of full armor and more and more um, items, more than like one item a week, more than yeah. one armor set every other month. Um I mean, it's probably going to slow down a bit when we go further ahead because there's every, there there are only so many swords a person. Yes, and also let's say when we're doing our our fiftieth race, um, you have to fix to retrofit. Everything. You have to retrofit everything to make sure it looks good on that new race. So once you put in say elephant people, now you have to make sure that. All the other 200 items, uh, 200 armor sets that you've made thus far, look good on an elephant person. Imagine the joy I'll have with all the helmets. You'll love it. I... And you probably need nose protection. Yeah, something like that. Um, so, so there are all sorts of issues along that. So we'll, we'll probably have to slow down a bit at some point. Um, but it's going to take a while until we reach that point. Well. Guys, thank you so much for the the time that you've given me. I know we've we've been at this for a little over an hour. Last two questions, and they're they're very brief. Uh, one, when do you guys launch? When does this become available for everyone to use if all goes according to plan? Um, so our uh, our current plan is that post our Kickstarter, we'll we'll sort of wind down, figure out backer kit, uh, and then we will have our closed beta um, somewhere in late to early July. Do I get to wind down? No. Oh, okay. Everybody else winds <laughs> down, but you, you, you keep working. <laughs> he does not. Um, 
So we will have our closed beta somewhere in uh, late June, early July. We will have um, our open beta in some select, in a few select stores across the U.S. We have uh, we have to pick something like ten stores that we want to that we want to do a, a closed beta. An, an to roll beta. out with, yeah. Yeah. And then we are debuting at Gen Con. We will show off our system to all of Gen Con and everybody there. We will have a printer on site and all the, the craziness involved in that. Um, and then post Gen Con, we go live. Uh, hopefully in as many stores as will have us. We, we have, yeah, we have like 50 stores who have, uh, Slightly under 50 stores, I'll be honest, um, that have uh, expressed interest in, in launching with us. Um, so hopefully we'll get to, to, you know, two, 300, 700, I don't know, as many as one, Four? as many as we can. Yeah. All the stores. All the stores. And uh, last question. Um, I'm just going to let you guys give just a brief pitch for why my audience should buy your product? Oh, I, I think the best the best proof is in the product. If you like miniatures, and you like designing your own miniatures, and you like your miniatures to have a distinct look and very high details, especially if you paint them, you should definitely check our product and buy it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. and also it's just fun to play with. Our developers, spend just far too much time just moving things around inside <laughs> inside the system. Let's put a beard on a lady. Yeah. Uh, but if you don't like miniatures, don't. No. But why wouldn't you like Should miniatures? You that's, that's, that's crazy talk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's pretty much all right, guys, thank you so much for your time. Uh, as of the time that this episode goes up, everyone will have roughly eight days to jump on this Kickstarter. And uh, where can we find you guys and uh, Eldritch Foundry on social media? So uh, you can find Eldritch Foundry on Facebook, on Instagram, and on Twitter. We are very active on both Facebook and Twitter. At Eldritch Foundry. I think our Twitter is at Eldritch Foundry. Um... You can also find both Joseph and me on social media. Oh, yeah. Uh, we are less active, <laughs> but uh, but still there. You can ask us anything. We, we reply pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. It's usually us. It's actually us, by the way. You can yeah. email us directly, and we answer all the time. Yep, that's, how we, that's how we ended up yeah. doing this interview. It is. So, yeah, thank you so much for your time. Um, as always, it, it, it's great talking to you guys. I'm, I'm looking forward to this. I'm uh, probably going to jump on this Kickstarter myself because I love my miniatures. Please do. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, that'll be it for today's episode. So, as always, um, until next time, may all your rolls be critical hits. Thank you so much for listening to Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe to us on Anchor.fm or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to shout at me on social media, you can do so on Twitter and Instagram. On Twitter, I am at Howard underscore Ryan Gregg. 
And if you like miniatures and miniature painting, you can see all the work that I do on my Instagram, which is at Fenderboy771. Our theme song for Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard is Rumblin' by Trey Van Zant, who you can find at youtube.com slash C slash Trey Van Zant, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 License. Thank you so very much, and have a great day.